Hello, and welcome to another episode of Yes, That Really Did Happen. This time, we're going to discuss the Boston Molasses Disaster. Something that does sound like fiction, but it really did happen. In January of 1919... A large storage tank filled with 2.3 million gallons of molasses, which incidentally weighs about 13,000 tons, burst, and a tidal wave of molasses rushed through the streets at approximately 35 miles per hour. You know that saying, slow as molasses? doesn't apply when there's 13,000 tons of it or 2.3 million gallons. It was claimed for decades afterwards. In fact, I heard about this in the 80s when I was growing up in New England that on hot summer days, you could still smell the molasses in certain Boston neighborhoods. When I first heard about this, I always wondered, why was there a tank of 2.3 million gallons of molasses? in Boston to rupture in the first place. Well, (laughs) that you're going to have to go back to early American history. Pre-Revolutionary War American history, to be precise. In the 1600s, the favorite drink of the American British, as they were known, was rum. Rum is made from fermented Molasses, or at least at the time, that's where most rum came from. There may be some differences now. They would import rum from Caribbean nations, Caribbean islands. And some budding entrepreneurs in Boston figured out that they could make more money making the rum in Boston and importing the molasses. Molasses was easier to import You could import more of it and make more rum than you could just importing rum. So this all made perfect sense. They made better deals and increased production. And they started obtaining molasses from the French and the English colonies. Britain was not real happy about this. So they started to levy taxes on it. In 1733, the Molasses Act taxed all non-English molasses. So, they started importing it mainly from British colonies. No tax there. Import it from British colony to a British colony, there was no tax. They also smuggled quite a bit from French colonies as well. Now, remember, communication took a long time back in the 1700s. So, by 1764, they're starting to wonder, where's all this money? There's all this rum being made. But there's not a lot of money out there. This is all happening in Boston, mind you. So in 1764, they passed the Sugar Act. This started protesting. This started rebellion. Thirsty Americans will not allow their liquor to be interrupted. Prohibition proved this in the 1920s, shortly after the Great molasses flood of Boston. Rum was used as payment. It was part of their pay for the militia of the Continental Army. They would 
get shots for being present at training. They were very worried when they ran out of rum in 1778. This was, rum was a really big thing. And remember, it's made from molasses and it's made from, in Boston mostly. So this is why, even up until 1919, there was a large amount of molasses imported into Boston. Molasses was being used at the Purity Distilling Company. And they distilled a lot of ethanol from this molasses used in industrial and mm, alcoholic beverages. And also at that time, alcohol was a very big component in munition. Industrial alcohol was in munitions. Uh, That would have been, you know, pure alcohol, 100%, 200 proof alcohol. Moonshine except for industrial purposes. So, how did this tank rupture happen? Well, ships brought molasses into port, and there were harborside molasses tanks, and they would pump off of the ships the molasses, moving much like you would move any other liquid commodity in tankers, and they would then pump it by pipeline up to the tank that eventually burst. The molasses tank at the top of the hill where the purity ethanol plant had it stood 50 feet tall, 90 meet, ninety feet in diameter, and contained about 2.3 million gallons. So what happened? On January 15, 1919, temperatures in Boston had risen above 40 degrees Fahrenheit. That's four degrees Celsius for those of you who live in countries that haven't landed on the moon. Climbing rapidly from the frigid temperatures of the preceding day. And the previous day, a ship had delivered a fresh load of molasses, which had to have been warmed to reduce its viscosity and make it easier to transfer. This caused thermal expansion. Anybody knows when you heat things up, they get bigger. And liquid is no exception molasses is no exception so the thermal expansion of the older colder molasses already inside the tank caused it to burst open as the tank was overfilled and it collapsed about 12 30 p.m witnesses heard a roar as the tank collapsed the ground shook it sounded like a train was passing by There was tremendous crashing, a deep growling, and a large thunderclap. And the sounds like a machine guns as rivets from the storage tank popped out of the tank. The density of molasses is about 12 pounds per gallon, which is 40% more than water, which is about 8 pounds per gallon. Resulting in the molasses having a great deal of potential energy. Now, for those of you who failed physics like me, potential energy comes from Newton's third law of physics, or maybe it's the second law of physics. I'm not sure, actually. This is why I failed physics. But an object in motion tends to stay in motion unless acted upon by another force. The more energy behind it, the stronger the force, the stronger the force the bigger the force it takes to stop it. 
So we've got two million gallons, roughly, of molasses running down the streets with 40% more potential energy than water would. And we know what floods can do with 2.3 million gallons of water, right? It doesn't end well. Well, with molasses, it's even worse. This caused a wave of molasses 25 feet high at its peak. It was moving through the streets at 35 miles per hour. Remember, folks, this is 1919. 35 miles per hour was an amazing speed in 1919. The wave was sufficient force to drive the steel panels of the tank that had burst apart against the girders of the elevated railway and tipped the streetcar off the tracks. Buildings were swept off their foundation and crushed. Several blocks were flooded to a depth of three feet of molasses. A news report at the time in the Boston Post reported, Molasses, waist deep, covered the street, swirled and bubbled about the wreckage. Here and there a struggled a form, whether it was an animal or human being, be, was impossible to tell. Only an upheaval, a thrashing about in the sticky mist, showed where any life was. Horses died like so many flies on sticky flypaper. The more they struggled, the deeper in the mess they were ensnared. Human beings, men and women, suffered likewise. That was the Boston Post. The Boston Globe reported that people were picked up by a rush of air and hurled many feet. Others had debris hurled at them from the rush of the sweet-smelling air. A truck was picked up and hurled into Boston Harbor. After the initial wave, the molasses became viscous because it was 40 degrees out. It was cold temperatures. And that further trapped those caught in the wave, making it even more difficult to not only them to escape, but for anybody to rescue them as they had to wade through this molasses that was becoming thicker by the minute. All in all, about 150 people were injured and 21 people and several horses were killed. Some were crushed and drowned by the molasses, or by the debris carried within the molasses. And one of the most common ailments of the injured was coughing. Um, people inhaled molasses, and your lungs really aren't built to breathe through molasses, much like water, but worse. Once this all happened... 116 cadets who happened to be in Boston Harbor on the USS Nantucket from the Massachusetts Maritime Academy, known at the time as the Massachusetts Nautical School, were there and they ran several blocks towards the accident and entered into the knee-deep flood of molasses to pull out survivors. While others worked to keep curious onlookers away to get to keep them from getting in the way of the rescuers. Boston police, the Red Cross, the Army, the Navy, and other personnel soon arrived. Some nurses from the Red Cross dived into the molasses. 
and others tended to the injured, keeping them warm and feeding them the exhausted workers. Many of these people worked through the night, and the injured were so numerous that the doctors and surgeons set up a makeshift hospital in a nearby building. Rescuers found it difficult to make their way through the syrup to help the victims, and four days elapsed before they stopped searching. Many of the dead were so glazed over in molasses that they were hard to recognize. Other victims were swept into Boston Harbor and were found three to four months later after the disaster. Cleanup crews then descended upon the area and using salt water from a fireboat tried to wash away the molasses and use sand to absorb it. The harbor was brown with molasses until the summer. The cleanup of the immediate area took over a month, and it took a lot longer to clean the rest of Greater Boston and the suburbs where there wasn't that much damage. The other areas of Boston were not damaged at all. Well, okay. All right. Uh, let's see. One, two, three, four. It took longer to clean up the rest of Boston. And the rest of Boston got dirty from the molasses flood from the rescuers and spectators, onlookers, victims, what have you, tracking molasses all over town. I, you know, just imagine they all had molasses on their shoes. It was unavoidable and it just got tracked all over town. It took months to clean all of that up. It also had spread to the subways. Naturally, people have molasses on their clothing, molasses on their shoes. The seats inside of trains, the seats inside of streetcars, payphone, telephone handles, homes, and other places. Everything that Boston touched was sticky. If you were in Boston and you touched anything in 1919, it was sticky with molasses which I can't imagine is all that pleasant. So, as we discussed, there were causes. The outdoor temperature was part of the cause. As it rose, the air temperature from 2 degrees to 41 degrees within a very short amount of time. The tank also leaked and had been leaking since it was first filled in 1915. It was also poorly constructed and there was additional pressure of the tank due to some fermentation going on inside of it. The tank had only been filled to capacity eight times since it was built, and as they were trying to outrace prohibition, which the 16th Amendment was ratified the day after the Boston molasses disaster, that happened on January 15th, 1919. January 16th, 1919, the 18th Amendment outlawing alcohol on January 1st, 1920, was passed. A lot of distilleries saw this as the coming, so they kept filling the tank up. And it then ended up having some cyclical load, which caused fatigue cracking. The tank leaked so much molasses that they had painted it brown to hide the leakage and that local residents often collected leaked molasses for their homes. In 
2014, a group of people conducted a engineering study on the tank, and they found that it was the steel was half as thick as it should have been for a tank of its size, even with the lower standards of 1919. We're not even talking about modern standards here. We're talking about the standards of 1919 said that that tank should have been twice as thick. The steel should have been twice as thick on that. In 2016, some students at Harvard University studied the behavior of cold corn syrup flooding on a scale model of the affected neighborhood, and they concluded that the reports of the high-speed flood were credible. You know, It was reported at the time that the flood was moving at 35 miles per hour, People wondered how accurate that was. Again, it was 1919. A lot of people didn't even know what 35 miles an hour looked like. Two days before the disaster, warm molasses was added to the tank, reducing the viscosity of the fluid. When the tank collapsed, the fluid cooled quickly as it spread until it reached Boston's winter evening temperatures, and the viscosity increased dramatically. The Harvard study concluded that the molasses cooled and thickened very quickly, as it rushed through the streets, hampering efforts to free the victims before they suffocated. This is just an incredible disaster. It is one that could have certainly been prevented, but it is one that most people wouldn't worry about. Even in 1919 standards, a tank of molasses in your neighborhood was not considered anything dangerous. Even by modern standards, I don't think too many people would think that a tank full of molasses would be anything serious. It's not a tank of oil. It's not a tank of gasoline. It's not a tank of fertilizer or anything else that is known to burn and explode and cause all kinds of problems when something happens. But, as it turns out, the potential energy of 2.3 million gallons of anything can be very dangerous and the structures it's stored in have to be carefully maintained and correctly made. I hope you enjoyed this episode and I hope you'll subscribe and listen to my other episodes. Thank you and have a great day.